church, welcome to week one of Ghost Stories. For the next five weeks, we'll be looking at some of the paranormal stories found in the Bible. Today, we're looking at the story of Daniel in the Old Testament. Tonight, October 1st, is our backyard event. We will share a meal together, make room for questions about Prodigal, and discuss our vision together. For more details, head over to the app and sign up. We're looking forward to seeing you if you're able to come. Small groups are beginning this week, so it's not too late to sign up. Check out the app or the website for an open group that works for you. These groups are so valuable to our community, and our hope is that you develop deeper relationships as well as feel more connected, valued, and loved here at Prodigal. Planning for our annual Trunk or Treat event is underway. This is one of our biggest outreach events of the year, and we need your help to pull it off. Head over to the app or the website and visit the Trunk or Treat page. There you'll find our candy donation link as well as other ways you can help serve the day of the event. We can't do this without you, so help us love and serve our neighborhood this Halloween. With all that is happening this fall, with the holidays around the corner, make sure you have our Prodigal Church app downloaded with those notifications on. This is the best way to stay up to date on all that is happening here at Prodigal this fall. We sent out a survey earlier this week and we just want to say a huge thank you to those of you who filled it out. If you did not receive it, you probably haven't filled out our online connect card. You can do that on our Prodigal Church app. This is a short survey and it will help us be able to serve you all better as well as help us continue to develop the community and culture of Prodigal Church. If you haven't filled it out, we want to invite you to do so even now. If you prefer a paper copy to fill it out, we have those as well. So take the next couple of minutes, go ahead and fill those out. Thank you so much, church. Now don't get too spooked in week one of Ghost Stories. Happy Sunday, church. have some fun with this sermon series and before we dive in I just want to say thanks so much for filling out our short survey and if you're watching this on Sunday morning you can still fill out the short survey on the Prodigal Church app or our website we want to be a better church and so your input helps us a ton uh, I'm looking forward to the backyard event uh, it's in a backyard it's tonight at five o'clock and we're going to go over some of the survey results as well as pray for our church ask questions, and seek God's will together. It's going to be great. I like movies that make me feel something. If I watch a comedy, I'm going to laugh. If I watch a rom-com or like an inspirational movie, I'm going to cry. And if I watch a scary movie, I want to be scared. Okay? I think it's fun to be scared. It's a form of entertainment. I didn't always like to be scared. I have this memory when I was a kid, probably seven or eight, okay, maybe even younger. And we used to play this game called Old Maid. You familiar with it? Anybody else play Old Maid back in the day? We had this oversized deck of Old Maid cards, okay? This was vintage 1980s. I actually found a photo of them online. You can see the game here. In one dark and stormy night in Leroy, Illinois, I had a nightmare. Does anybody else remember vividly a nightmare they had when they were a kid. In my nightmare, I was in the hallway of our home and this old maid was chasing me. I was terrified. 
the next morning I kind of went on living my childhood until the next time my family wanted to play Old Maid. I was like, how about go fish? And they're like, no, 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 we really want to play Old Maid. What about Uno? That's a good game. I'm just going to sit this one out, guys. Don't you guys play without me. John, we need you. You can't play Uno with just two people. Okay. So I played and I was fine until I had to pick like a random card from my sister's uh, hand and, and my hands are trembling. Uh, each time I pull the card, I just am so grateful that it's not the old maid card. And at this point I'm sweating. Everyone's like, John's very intense tonight. When I finally pulled the old maid card, I remember screaming. Every time I walked the hallway at night, I would have to consciously choose to not be scared. Anyway, one night I got the courage enough to grab that old maid card from the deck, sneak out of my house, go down to the pond not too far away, and throw the old maid card in there. And we could never play the game again. She was gone. Can anybody relate to an irrational fear like this? Scary stories, ghost stories, they have an allure. There's an allure about them even in our culture. Haunted attractions are a $500 million a year industry. Millions of people flock to these haunted houses to be scared. Many people like to be scared. And this has been true for a very long time. For hundreds of years, spooky stories have been told next to a campfire on a cold, dark night. What is the lure of the ghost story? A good ghost story makes us suspend disbelief, allowing our reasoning to consider the impossible. Not only to consider it, but sometimes even long after we finish the book or watch the movie, we find ourselves glimpsing a face in the shadows or hearing a whisper through a crack in the floor. It is in these moments of heightened tension where we have goosebumps on the back of our neck making us close the door behind us a little bit faster than we normally would. Even though we know there's nothing in the dark. To be scared, reassured, entertained, even taught a lesson. Perhaps it is all of these that makes the ghost stories appealing. And so for this sermon series, we're going to try and enjoy the shivers together as we look at some spooky stories found in the Bible. Are you ready? Our tale takes place in ancient Babylon, 2,500 years ago. The nation of Israel has been exiled in Babylon for 70 years. Now, Daniel, uh, an old Hebrew man, once served the king of Babylon and interpreted his dreams. But now, Daniel is old. He has resigned to the fact that he will live out the rest of his days in Babylon. Israel will not be restored in his lifetime. And Babylon is the world's greatest empire. Babylon is indestructible. Babylon is impenetrable. You see, Babylon was the greatest fortified city that the world had ever known. Herodotus stated that walls of Babylon were 85 feet wide, 335 feet tall, topped by 250 defensive towers. The biggest walls of the ancient world by far. 
The top of the walls included a road wide enough for a four-horse chariot to turn around on the wall. Okay, the horses could do a U-turn. Now, Babylon was not the first great walled city. There had been lots before, and all of them were eventually taken over. So what makes Babylon different? When all the other walled cities of the ancient world eventually were conquered, well, there was one thing that made Babylon different than all other fortified cities before them. It had the river Euphrates running through its walls. You see, everyone knew how to defeat a walled city. It was hard to do. It took a lot of time and resources, but it was possible. All you had to do was surround them, cut off supplies to the city. Then you just had to wait them out. But you couldn't do that with Babylon. They built a hole in the wall so that the entire Euphrates River flowed through the city. Babylon had constant water source. They had agriculture in the city. They could fish all they wanted. They could survive for decades while being surrounded by another army. So if a nation attacks the wall, and many tried, they would wait them out. So that when that nation eventually retreated, Babylon comes, attacks, and becomes even more powerful than they were before. So that's where our story takes place. Turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter 5. It says this, King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles and his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. The kings, his nobles, his wives, his concubines drank from them. As they drank, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So King Belshazzar throws a huge party. All of the rich and elite of Babylon are in attendance. Get more on that a bit later. And then to kind of show off his power over all the other nations of the world and to show off his power over all of the other gods of the world, he asks for the gold and silver goblets that were taken from God's temple in Jerusalem. He and his young harem of women, all powerful men, could drink from them in sacrilegious debauchery. Verse 5. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. Now that is spooky. Could you imagine if a human hand showed up and just started writing on a wall? That would be absolutely terrifying. If you're just listening online, you may not notice, but there is a hand writing on the wall right now on the screen. And King Belshazzar is super freaked out. His face turns pale. He was so frightened, his legs become weak and his knees were knocking. It is like the cartoons where we used to watch Scooby-Doo and when, when Scooby-Doo or Shaggy saw a ghost, they turned pale, they got weak in the knees. That comes from the Bible. There is something else in the story that is common in our culture. It is the phrase, the writing's on the wall. When we say the writing is on the wall, 
We mean that there is an inevitable outcome. Two football teams are playing each other. There's 40 seconds left. The losing team is down 79 to 6. The writing's on the wall. The phrase comes directly from the book of Daniel. Well, what is the inevitable outcome in this story? Let's keep reading. Verse 7. The king summoned the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. Then he said to these wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck. And he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all of the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. So the queen comes in and she is the voice of reason. Okay, the hand on the wall, it was kind of a party killer. And so she says, oh king, stop looking so pale. There used to be a Hebrew man who interpreted the dreams of your grandfather. His name is Daniel. Surely he will be able to interpret this message. So they get Daniel, who by now is a very old man. And the king gives him his spiel, okay, the hand, wrote this message. No one can interpret the message. If you can interpret it, I'll give you all like royal clothing and gold. It'll make you third in command of my kingdom. Verse 17. Then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your awards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Daniel says, you can take your gifts and shove it. Nevertheless, I'll interpret the message for you. And Daniel walks in. Now he's upset. Why? Because as he entered the palace, you know what he noticed? He noticed the goblets of his temple strewn about the idolatry and debauchery of Belshazzar's party. Now we don't have the attachment or the connection to the temple and to the artifacts like these that Daniel does. But they were sacred to him. The Equivalent for us, in part, would be us walking into a feast or a party and everyone there is eating sliced puppies. Just little cute dogs all over the floor. The king says, hey man, I'll give you all this stuff if you can interpret the dream. And Daniel's like, uh, I don't want anything to do with this puppy eating party. This is disgusting. Whatever you would be feeling in that moment, time set by 10 and you begin to grasp what Daniel must have been feeling when he sees his nation's holy artifacts scattered about in a pagan palace. So Daniel gives this speech about the king's pride and how he has put himself above God. And it's safe to say that Daniel showing up on the scene has been another party foul. Okay. It's been a negative experience for the king and the entire royal court. The queen should have suspected this. Because all of Daniel's past interpretations, they were always negative. They were accurate, but they were always bad for the king at the time. Daniel was like Bruno of the ancient world. He told me my fish would die the next day, dead. And so because of the pride of King Belshazzar, God interrupted his prideful party and sent this inscription. Many, many tekel parsing. Here's what these words mean. Many, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Paris, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes 
and the Persians. Then, at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Now, this is where things get interesting. There is so much going on underneath the surface. Many, many tekel parsing. These are weights of measurement, weights that go on a scale, a very common thing in the ancient world. So when they see these words, they think weights, scales. And now we go back to the first part of our story. The king of Babylon threw a party, but why? What was the occasion? The party they were having in Babylon that night was the celebration of the constellation Libra. It's a constellation in the sky, and it looks like a scale. Now, Libra was a very big deal in ancient Babylon, and Libra still has influence in our society today, 2,600 years later. Have you ever wondered why the abbreviation for pounds is LBS? Pound is LB. It comes from Libra, Latin for scale or balance. So they're having this Oktoberfest celebration connected to Libra, the constellation of weighing scales, and then a hand mysteriously begins to write units of measurement of, on scales. God did not arrive at this party on accident. Daniel 5, verse 30, that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom, the age of 62. Now, the Persian invasion of Babylon takes up only two verses in the book of Daniel. But no other event in antiquity had been written about more. The Persian invasion of the indestructible Babylon was one of the most ingenious military tricks in world history. Remember, there's no way to conquer Babylon. It was impossible. The walls are too high to climb. The walls are too thick to break down. You can't starve them because they've got a river running through the city. Now, remember the Bible just says Belshazzar, king of Babylonians, was slain that night. Now, how that happened, we learn from ancient historians like Herodotus and even Cyrus, the king of Persia. Now, here's what happened. Here's the battlefield. Persia took a small contingent of soldiers, nowhere near enough to conquer Babylon. They only took several hundred, but they brought thousands and thousands of engineers, engineers armed with shovels and bags of sand. And so they send their small contingent of skilled soldiers to the gates of Babylon under the cover of night, while uh, the thousands of engineers were 20 miles upstream with sandbags and a trench. They block and divert one of the world's most powerful rivers. In a matter of minutes, the mighty Euphrates went from a deep flowing river to a trickle beneath the city's walls. And the people of Babylon don't notice a thing. Why? Because they're partying for Libra. The small amount of soldiers went right underneath the wall with no resistance. They turned off the water and walked right in. And when sober people within the city's walls would see these foreign soldiers, they would scream and holler. 
And then the soldiers would just scream and holler right back as if they were partying too. Someone would say, stop, invaders. And then the invading army would be like, hey invaders, look out for us. And everyone just assumed that they were just drunk revelers. And they walked right into the royal palace and slaughtered all of the royals. They took Babylon without a fight. In the blink of an eye, the most powerful and impenetrable city the world has ever known was done. The most written about few hours in ancient history. This was a world-rocking, earth-shattering event in the ancient world because there were a few things that were always certain, few things that were for sure, a few things that were always known to be true. One, Babylon was indestructible. Two, Babylon was everlasting. Three, slave people like the Israelites would never be let go for free. And four, slaves do not become princes and kings. And did you notice that God did all of those impossible things in one night? He is the God of the impossible. He is the God who overcomes all odds. He is the God that is bigger than your circumstances. He is the God who conquers. He is bigger than your problems. Ancient Babylon today is an absolute wasteland. Like some other cities like Rome, like they never really died. They just get rebuilt on top of it again and again. Babylon is utterly forgotten. Buried beneath the Iraqi desert, somewhere south of Baghdad. The ancient Roman poet Juvenal wrote a popular collection of satire poems in the early second century, roughly 100 to 127 of the Common Era. He once wrote this in Satire 6, The Ways of Women. Do you say no worthy wife is to be found among all these crowds? Well, let her be handsome, charming, rich, and fertile. Let her have ancient ancestors ranged about her nails. Let her be more chaste than the disheveled Sabine maidens who stopped the war. A prodigy as rare upon the earth as a black swan. Yet who can endure a wife that possessed all perfections? Now, in case you didn't understand that, let me summarize. A woman who is pretty, charming, rich, a virgin, it will bear me lots of children, that's impossible. Impossible, am I right? And even if she does exist, she would be insufferable to be around. Okay, this is an ancient poem written during the first couple hundred years of the Common Era. In this poem, we have the earliest written version of a popular saying, a prodigy as rare upon the earth as a black swan. The phrase, or a shortened version of it, became very popular in medieval Europe a thousand years later. And it began to be used to, to refer to something that was impossible. Uh, it'd be similar to us as like when pigs fly, or a, a cold day in hell. In other words, it ain't gonna happen. Why did this phrase represent an impossibility? Well, because it was common knowledge in the ancient world, the back then, that all swans were white. After all, all historical records indicated that swans were white, and all of the observable swans in Europe were white. And then, on a fateful day in 1697, Willem de Vlamin, 
a Dutch explorer, touring Western Australia, the impossible became possible. He and his crew observed black swans for the very first time. In 1726, two of the birds were captured and brought to Europe as proof. For 1,400 years, everybody knew that swans were white and only white. It was scientifically documented and so deeply cemented in pop culture that it served as a common phrase to talk about things that were impossible. What was thought to be absolute knowledge became in one moment false and irrelevant. In one moment, the world as they knew it changed from a world with which black swans were impossible to a world in which black swans were not just possible, but right in front of them. Nothing is impossible. There was once a world in which Babylon ruled, and it was unthinkable that Babylon would ever fall. And yet, in one night, oh, how the mighty have fallen. Even in the middle of the impossible, the writing was on the wall. No matter how much we expand our own experience of the world, we will never know everything. There will always be more black swans. God will always be bigger than the lenses we see the world through. God will always be bigger than our worldviews. God can end an empire in one night. God can take a ragtag bunch of 12 stinky fishermen, tax collectors, and change the course of human history. Because the message of Jesus from these poor, unpopular disciples has been the most enduring message the world has ever heard. That Jesus is Lord, and Caesar is not, and Darius is not, and Cyrus is not, and Belshazzar is not. The message we see in Daniel and throughout the prophets is that there is only one everlasting kingdom, and that's God's. And that there is only one everlasting king, and that's Jesus. God, help us to know that, understand that, live that out. God, you are bigger than our problems. For some of us, we feel like there is this fortified wall that is impenetrable, impossible for this wall in our lives to fall. God, you are the God of the impossible. Would you bring down the walls that we're praying for, the enemies that we're fighting? Would you do it swiftly? In Jesus' name, amen. We want to thank you so much for joining us for week one of Ghost Stories. Next week, we'll dive in again to some spooky stories in the Bible. We can't wait. Grace and peace.